I would like to invite you to join me in the book of Matthew, chapter 24. Matthew, chapter 24, this morning, I want to talk to you in our series, End Times Super Trends, about the convergence factor. Now, we began this series last week, and it's a series on Bible prophecy, looking into God's Word, prophetic scriptures, often cast their shadows ahead of time, and we see those shadows in our time as we are looking for the return and the coming of the Lord. Now, in recent decades, you may have become familiar with the phrase, the perfect storm. Now, that term comes from the science of studying and forecasting weather, otherwise known as meteorology, and it describes a violent storm that arises from a precise combination of adverse weather factors. So, the perfect storm. For example, Sebastian Junger, he used that term as the title for his book, which was later turned into a Hollywood movie. And in that, he tells the story of the ill-fated fishing boat, the Andrea Gale, in which there in October of 1991, she ran into a perfect storm known as Hurricane Grace off the coast of New England. And the crew aboard the Andrea Gale, they all perished in that storm. The waves that were churned up, uh, we are told, some measured over 10 stories high. Many of you who are natives remember the blizzard of 1993. I was still a wee lad. I was about in third grade when the blizzard of 93 hit. It was in March, if you remember, and it dumped over three feet of snow in just a matter of hours. And once again, we could call this a perfect storm because you had cold air from the north colliding with moisture from the Gulf, and it hit right over western North Carolina. I can remember that storm being so powerful at times that you could actually hear thunder. You remember that? In whiteout conditions, we had thunder snow. Uh, I think, I, as I said, I was about in third grade, and boy, was that a fun time. Uh, the power was out. The roads were impassable, school was canceled, the sledding was good, not a care in the world. Now one could also make the argument that we witnessed a perfect storm back in August of this year when you remember the remnants of Hurricane Fred blew through. They stalled over our area and they dumped all of that historic rainfall which caused those terribly destructive floods in Buncombe County and Haywood County of which many are still coming out of. But what is key to creating the perfect storm is what I call the convergence factor. The convergence factor. It means that all the right weather conditions come together at just the right moment to create a deadly storm. And I want to use that idea of convergence to, this morning to talk about the phenomenon that is happening in our world right now. I'm telling you about the prophetic signs that are coming together indicating that the end times are near, the return of the Lord is at hand, and friend, a prophetic storm is brewing on the horizon. The Bible has predicted it many years ago, and we have a front row seat today, I believe, to see the fulfillment of Bible prophecy. What an exciting time to live. But also, uh, what a unique time to live. Now, Jesus alluded to this convergence factor in His most uh, prophetic sermon it's there in Matthew 24 and 25. It's known to Bible students as the Olivet Discourse. 
I've taught on this passage many times before. I call it the panorama of prophecy. Because in these two chapters, Jesus makes some broad strokes giving highlights of things to come. And in Matthew chapter 24, he begins by giving a list of prophetic signs that indicate his soon return. Now, these signs that we're going to read about in verses 3 through 8 here in a moment, um, they coincide with the tribulation period. That is, the last seven years on earth. A time of dreaded judgment, of God's wrath. A period of time spelled out by the Old Testament prophets and also in detail, Revelation 6 through 19. Now, friend, we aren't in the tribulation period yet, but we are heading there warp speed. And the prophetic events as I said, are casting their shadows into our time. And we're living in the convergence of those shadows as we speak. So I want to talk to you today about the convergence factor. What does that mean personally, and what does that mean practically and prophetically? Let's read our text. Starting in verse 3, Matthew 24, As he sat on the Mount of Olives, that is Jesus, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places Verse 8, and all these are but the beginning of birth pains. I want to talk to you as you're taking notes today, number one, on the topic of the signs of convergence. The signs of convergence. We just read them in those five verses. Now, if we jump back to verse 5, we read the first indicator, which I would call spiritual counterfeits. Many will come in my name saying, I am Christ. And they will lead many astray. And then down in verse 11, he says something very similar. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. Friends, we're living in a time where deception is in an all-time high. Satan is working 24-7 to blind the eyes of people from seeing the glorious gospel of our Lord and Savior. But notice here in this passage that Jesus warned that prior to His return, there would be a surge in, listen to this word, apostasy, that is a falling away from the truth, a willing departure from the faith. He said there will also be spiritual counterfeits, false Christs, and also false teachers. Now we have to parallel Jesus' words here with what Paul wrote to Timothy. You'll see there in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1, Paul wrote, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, here it is, some will depart from the faith, that's apostasy, by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teaching of demons. One of those we learned last week, very demonic teaching, is socialism. Now, when will all of this culminate? Well, we know from the Scriptures that it will culminate in the tribulation period with the rise of a one-world ruler, the last world dictator, Satan's CEO, a man who goes by the name of Antichrist. You have to connect this passage also with what is unfolded in Revelation 6, verses 1 and 2, where we see a picture there in Revelation 6 of a man riding on a white horse who has a bow but no arrows. That's a picture of the Antichrist who is to come, a peacemaker but a devilish diplomat in 
disguise. So really, that's where it all culminates from Matthew 24 to Revelation chapter 6. Now, I want to point out to you today that the church has been invaded by counterfeits of all shapes and sizes. We're seeing this sign right now in this era. Perhaps maybe one of the most prevalent spokespeople for a form of Christianity, I'm not saying it's the true Christianity, is Pope Francis. He's a media darling. He's very big on the world scene. He's basically a globalist. He wants to unite the world through the Catholic Church. And look at the false teaching that he is promoting. Look at the headline. Pope Francis assures atheists you don't have to believe in God to go to heaven. Uh, there's a fancy Greek word for that where I come from. That's baloney. There's only one way to the Father. His name is through Jesus Christ. He also says, Pope Francis, that even the Muslims can believe in their form of religion and come to the same God. The Bible says, though, friend, there is a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof is the way of death. Friend, this is an old lie. It's the lie of universalism that all will be saved. And it's straight out of the pit. Uh, there's uh, also things happening in other denominations. The United Methodist Church. Did you know that the UMC is on the verge of splitting over the issue of gay clergy and gay marriage? They can't decide what they want to believe. Do they want to believe the Word of God and hold fast to God's design of one man, one woman? The African bloc, uh, they want to stay with the Word of God. But the liberal American branch wants to break off and allow gay marriage and gay clergy. God help us. This year, the Evangelical Lutheran Church, listen to this, elected Reverend Megan Rohr to be the first openly transgender bishop, she or he, whatever, serves there in the Sierra Pacific Synod. I think it's a man uh, transitioning into a woman, and the Lutheran Church has put their stamp of approval on it, and friend, it's just the spirit of the age. It's the apostasy, it's the falling away that Jesus spoke about in the last days. And then you see kooks like televangelist Kenneth Copeland. Uh, he has asked his viewers to send money so that he can ride around on a private jet to keep from getting the vaccine. Friend, that's, that's also evil. That's also wrong. But it's a picture of the spiritual counterfeits, the apostasy happening in the church today. Vance Havner said it years ago, the old southern evangelist, he said, quote, the biggest danger to the church is not the woodpeckers on the outside, but the termites on the inside. Friend, when we step away from the Word of God and the simplicity of the Gospel, that's when we get into all kinds of false doctrine and teaching that leads people astray. They think they're helping others by softening the Gospel, but actually they're leading them into a Christless grave. We're looking more and more like lukewarm Laodicea each and every day, aren't we? But Jesus said these things would happen. That's sign number one. Spiritual counterfeits. But then, if we keep reading in verses 6 and 7, I want you to notice national conflicts. That's the next sign. And you'll hear wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed. For these must take place, but the end is not yet. And nation shall rise against nation. The great historian Will Durant wrote in one of his books years ago that war is one of the constants of history and has not diminished with civilization and democracy. He said in the last 3,421 years of recorded history, only 268 have seen no war. Think back, friends. Some of you have lived longer than I have. Can you think of a year where there was world peace? 
I can't. Not in my lifetime. But Jesus here prophetically pictures in Matthew 24 a prophecy of conflict and World War III, if you will, culminating in the world. It'll happen also during the tribulation period. The Bible tells us in Revelation 6 and verse 4 that after the Antichrist comes to power, the next, the second of the four riders, so right across the earth, John says this, the second seal was opened and I heard the living creatures say, Come, and out came another horse, bright red, and its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. That's where we're headed. One major development that we see happening right now in our world, the media hasn't really reported a lot about it, but the experts are projecting, listen to this, that Iran, not exactly our friend, Iran is one month away from developing enough uranium for a nuclear weapon. Is that straight out of Matthew 24 or not? And you know, Iran's stated goal is to wipe Israel off the map. They've said it. This doesn't bode well for an already unstable Middle East. We all witnessed what happened this summer back in August, the Afghanistan disaster which was facilitated by that botched U.S. pullout after a 20-year occupation. It left behind a huge uh, power vacuum and a humanitarian crisis. The Afghan church, which was at that time the second fastest growing church in the world behind, ironically, the nation of Iran, but many of those underground Christians now have been murdered. They've been persecuted. They've been rounded up by the Taliban and put the sword to their head. In fact, the Afghan crisis, I can't understate this, but the Afghan crisis was such an epic disaster that many of our own allies have said, especially the United Kingdom, they're saying that that signaled the end of the U.S. as a world superpower. We no longer carry the influence that we once had. I think everybody can see apparent in what's happening in our nation today. We're falling apart. We're declining. And a lot of it we're doing ourselves. Just this week, here's something straight out of Matthew 24. China flexed its muscles. Listen to the headline. U.S. intel caught by surprise by China's nuclear-capable hypersonic space weapon that circled the earth. China's developed a new way to send a, a, a missile across the earth that goes up into space and can circle the earth. And we didn't even know they had that technology to exist. Friend, it's a picture of the national conflict that Jesus foretold. One question that many people are often ask when we deal with Bible prophecy is, hey, why isn't the United States at, in the picture uh, of the end times? It's a very simple question to ask. Uh, and, and answer as well, number one, most of Bible prophecy is focused on Israel, and America just isn't in the picture. As I said, we're declining in almost every metric, economically, globally, morally, culturally. But listen to what David Jeremiah says about this. He has a great insight here. He says, America, quote, is throwing away its treasured position as the most blessed nation ever on the face of the earth. Once we invited God into our nation, but now we've shut Him out. As a result, he said, God has removed His hand from upon us, and I believe the sign that makes it clear that America is infected with the disease of moral decay. And as we deteriorate, he said, we will weaken to the point of implosion and no longer be a world power. Friend, it's time to wake up and smell the coffee. <laughs> it ain't coming, it's already here. 
We're seeing it play out before our very eyes. And friend, our hope doesn't need to be in the White House or in the next election or in Wall Street or whatever we might want to put our hope in. Our hope has got to be in Jesus Christ. He's our greatest threat and He's our only hope. So we see spiritual counterfeits. And we see national conflicts. But then Jesus talked about something else here in verse 7. Natural calamities. Natural calamities. Look at what it says in verse 7. The Bible says that there'll be famines and earthquakes in various places. Now, let's be truthful here. The disasters that Jesus is speaking of here ultimately are the ones that the Bible spells out during the tribulation period. And those disasters that God will send on the earth during that time period will break all the records of death and destruction. In fact, let me give you an example. The pale horseman, the fourth rider pictured in Revelation 6, which connects here with what Jesus is talking about. In Revelation 6, 8, listen to what it says. I looked and behold, a pale horse and its rider was death. Hades followed him. And they were given authority to kill over a fourth of the earth. To kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and with wild beasts of the earth. Friend, if you do the calculations today, they tell us the world population is at 7 billion. If this judgment were to be unleashed today, you would have to rack up the death count of 1.75 billion people dead in one judgment. And Revelation's got 21 of them. That's just one. Natural calamities. Now the Bible gives numerous examples of how God uses natural disasters to punish rebellious nations. For example, go back to your Old Testament. You remember in the book of Exodus, God sent ten plagues to Egypt. During the time of Elijah, God caused a drought for three and a half years to come upon the land. In the book of Joel, we read about a locust plague that God allowed to come into the nation of Israel and the locust devoured all the crops. It basically created an agricultural Armageddon. Now God's purpose for disasters is to get people's attention, isn't it? To humble them, to call them to repentance. And if a nation fails to respond, God says, all right then, have it your way. Now, as the time for Jesus' return gets closer, the Bible says that these quote-unquote acts of God will ratchet up. Now, a skeptic may read this and, and say, Well, preacher, the earth's always had earthquakes and storms and pestilence and death. And that's true. We have. But what scientists are noting now, listen to this, is that the earthquakes and the hurricanes have gotten worse and more frequent in the past two decades as they've been keeping records of weather. For instance, look at this headline out of a U.S. News and World Report. It came in the year 2020. According to the United Nations Office for Disaster Risk Reductions, they say there has been a rise in climate-related disasters during the past 20 years. Between 1980 and 1999, they say there were 3,656 climate-related events as opposed to 6,681 between the years 2000 and 2019. In other words, that figure has doubled. We're seeing exactly the kind of birth pains that Jesus talked about in Matthew 24. Of course, the big buzzword is that word pestilence. Now, we just have gone through what, what the Bible would call a pestilence. In other words, a pandemic. You could argue, of course, that COVID-19 was a man-made disaster courtesy of Dr. Fauci and the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Whether the virus was released accidentally or whether it was a bioweapon, I don't think you and I will ever know. 
But there is something ironic when you look at how God has used this on the world stage. We know that from the reports that millions of U.S. taxpayer dollars were funneled into that Wuhan lab where they did the gain-of-function research to create the virus. What that means is that America paid for the creation of the virus. And if that doesn't sound like God's judgment, I don't know what is, when you foot the bill for your own plague. That's the way that God judges nations. And friend, if you can't see it, that we are a nation in decline, that we are feeling the judging hand of God, He's taking His protective hand off of us. Friend, it's time to wake up. Natural calamities and spiritual counterfeits and national conflicts, but then also look at this social cruelty. Social cruelty. If you drop down to verse 10 and verse 12, notice what the Bible says. And many will fall away and betray one another. Watch this. And hate one another. Can you ever think of a time when we've been so divided in our nation in the past 100 years? Verse 12. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. If you keep reading on in this passage, Jesus said that society would be like the civilization on the earth in Noah's day. In fact, he says that in verse 37. Well, what was the world like in Noah's day? Well, you go back to Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5, and the Bible says that man's thoughts were only evil continually. And Noah is building this great gospel project in his backyard for 120 years, preaching in the foreground, the ringing of hammers in the background, and nobody believed Noah in his preaching except his family. But the Bible says that every thought of his heart was evil continually in the days of Noah. And friend, aren't we there? In 2020, after the wake of the George Floyd killing, we saw many of the U.S. cities erupt in those lawless riots where they went out and they burned the, the, the streets and the businesses. They tore down the monuments. They attacked the police. They say that in Minneapolis, which was the epicenter of those riots, that over $500 million in property damage was done. They say there's eight square miles that was at, burned down in that city that's not going to come back. All those businesses, all of that lost. You know about the city of Chicago? Do you know Chicago has some of the toughest gun laws in the nation, and yet in 2020, they had 769 murders by gun violence. And if the killing continues, they say that they'll have the worst murder rate in 25 years. I think it's time to go back to the good book. I think it's time to go back to the Word of God and realize that the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? That all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we need to return back to the mercy and the grace of God and the cross of Jesus Christ because He's the only one that can fix this sinful, broken heart. A government program ain't going to solve it. More money thrown at the problem ain't going to solve it. Defunding the police ain't going to solve it. Another riot by Black Lives Matter is not the answer. The only answer is the bloody cross of Jesus Christ. Who can change the hearts of, of people in this world? You think, well, Derek, that'll never come here. Oh, but friend, have you walked through the streets of Asheville lately? You know, we had all those cries of defund the police last year. Do you know, because of that, Asheville has entered the top 10% of the most violent cities in America. That's straight from News 13, our own local news source. God help us! Do we see the convergence happening? Do we see all these things coming together to create a perfect storm? 
Well, friend, that's the signs of convergence. But I want to speak to you as we think about the middle part of this message on the speed of convergence. The speed of convergence. Now, you could be discouraged. You could look at all of those things and say, Well, gosh, Derek, you're a glass-half-empty kind of guy. What a pessimist. No, I'm a realist. I'm a biblicist. And I see the prophetic picture lining up. You might look at all of that and say, Well, gosh, Derek, the, the world is falling apart. No, the pieces are falling into place just as God's Word said they would. So you better take note and you better be ready. Let's talk about the speed of convergence. Look at what Jesus said in verse 8. He said, All these are but the beginning of birth pains. Just the beginning. Now Jesus gave an interesting analogy when He related the signs of a second coming to that of the labor pains of a pregnant woman. And you mamas can certainly relate to this image because as the time for the delivery of that baby draws near, those contractions get more frequent, they get more intense, they get more unbearable. And just so, what Jesus said here is that the signs predicting the arrival of the last days will increase in three ways. Frequency, that is more and more signs. Intensity, that is each sign getting worse. And then visibility, signs to where they cannot be ignored. They can't be chalked up to just coincidence. There has to be something else behind it all. We know it's Bible prophecy. I think about... Uh, when Lydia was born, Caitlin laid out of church that day. She was in the beginnings of those birth pains. It was a Sunday. And uh, I, I thought, well, how bad is it? She said, go on to church. Go preach. I'll be here at home. She was in the bathtub when I got home. I asked her, I said, how close is it? I said, I'm kind of hungry. Do I have time to go eat? <laughs> So I went out and got something to eat and came back. And when I came back, oh, the frequency and intensity had ratcheted up about tenfold. She said, it's time to go. So we made a beeline to the hospital. And by the time we got there, she was way dilated. And in the progress of waiting in that waiting room to get checked in, all things began to move very, very quickly. And it wasn't long after that until we enjoyed our third baby coming into the world. But what I'm telling you is frequency, intensity, and visibility. And just as that baby can't be stopped, and it's coming and you better get ready, we see the speed of convergence happening on our world stage. Paul writes about this. Also, 1 Thessalonians 5.3, look at what he says. While people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. That's the mantra today. Build back better. Everything's going to be all right. We're going to get through uh, this period of inflation. We're going to get through this pandemic. There'll be brighter days ahead. And I'm all for hope, but not in man's power or in man's prediction. Because the speed of convergence says that this thing's going to get faster and get worse, like a runaway train. And that, friend, explains to you and I why our world is changing so quickly. Do you know how fast this thing was put on warp speed last year? When everything was shut down and then the government realized how they could overreach and control people's lives and tell them what to do with their bodies and so on and so forth. Friend, we're on the warp speed path. And one unavoidable side effect of convergence is that acceleration rate is going to get faster and faster. And you would say, well, Derek, this is interesting, but it's more than just interesting. It's urgent. 
Because I'm not just talking about one sign. I'm talking about all the signs that Jesus predicted converging at this moment. We could say, well, if we just pointed to one sign, well, that's interesting. But friend, all of them coming together, do you have eyes to see it? Prophecy buff John Wolverd wrote this. He said, quote, The pace of life and the rate of change has escalated wildly without our permission. The locomotive guiding history has picked up speed and been turbocharged by calls for progress and the power of technology. In concert with that, he said, more prophecies have either been fulfilled or prepared for fulfillment in our day than all the previous centuries since the first. The preparation for the final drama is being carried out before our eyes. And you know what I say as a Bible-believing Christian? Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Now, if you don't know the Lord, if you're lost today, if you're unsure of your salvation, you should be fearful. You should be scared. Because you don't want to be here on the earth when the tribulation period begins to uh, unfold and the world begins to feel those birth pains in honest. And friend, I'm telling you that God's judgment is always sudden. It is always severe. Just think about Noah's day. It was business and usual until the day that the rains came, Noah got in the ark, and the Bible says that God shut the door, and they were beaten on the outside. Noah let us in. Uh, we believe you now, but by then God had shut him in, and it was too late. We read about it also in uh, Daniel, Daniel uh, chapter number 5, where uh, the drunken king is having his feast, and then the hand of God appears and writes on the wall, Tekel, Tekel, uh, Upharsin, uh, which means waited, waited, and found wanton, and judgment came to Babylon that very day. The Persians came in, they took over the city without a shot being fired. It was like that in Lot's day. In uh, Luke 17, the Bible says that the days will be like the days of Lot, where there was partying, and it was good times, and it was high life, and it was, hey, hand me another beer, and it was, uh, let's enjoy our sin. And then the fire started to fall. And friend, I'm telling you today, don't put off a decision for Christ. Satan's favorite word is tomorrow. You can serve God tomorrow. You don't have to get serious about Christ right now. You don't want to be looked at as some kind of crazy Bible thumper. You can put that off until you're older and you won't waste your life. Listen, friend, we don't have time to waste anymore. Jesus may come back or God may call you in death and your number may be called. And are you ready to meet Christ face to face? Oh my, the speed of convergence and the signs of convergence. But then I also want you to see this today as we close. I want you to see the secret of convergence the secret of convergence the last important facet of convergence is the one secret that everybody wants to know when when's he coming why has he waited so long church has been on earth for some 2,000 years and yet Christ hasn't come back when is he coming from time to time you'll hear the crackpot date sitters who say I know when Jesus is coming back and they've deciphered some kind of crazy code out of the scriptures that isn't there but you know what about the date sitters? They always end up with egg on their face. They could have saved themselves a lot of shame if they had just read Matthew 24 and 36. Look what it says. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven or the Son, but the Father only. 
And then verse 42, look at what he says, same chapter. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Then again, verse 44, look at what the text says there. Therefore you must always be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Verse 50, and the master of the servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and in an hour when he does not know. You know how I know that some of these preachers out here, some of these prophecy preachers are full of baloney? Because they want to set a date. Let me tell you what my Bible in black and white says, nobody knows. Unless you're in the Trinity, <laughs> nobody knows. And therefore we ought to live our lives in light of the fact that His return is imminent. That means it could happen at any moment. I heard an old preacher say it like this. It's a waste of time to try and guess the time because Jesus could come anytime, so just serve Him in the meantime. <laughs> Isn't that right? But throughout the Olivet Discourse, here you see that one repeated theme four times. Be ready, be ready, be ready. So that we might be living in such a way that we aren't caught off guard when the command is given when the cry and the shout is announced and when the trumpet is blown, the day of Christ's return, known only by God. That's a great unknown. So how should we live? Well, there's three things that we ought to be taking note of. In light of the return of Christ, people of purity. We need to be people of purity so that we aren't ashamed, so that we aren't caught in sin when Christ comes, that we won't be ashamed at His coming if we were living in such a way that would bring dishonor to Him. We ought to be people of urgency because we understand that the night is coming when no man can work, that the, the hour is late and the need is great, and therefore we ought to be doing all that we can to reach a whosoever will, anybody that will respond to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. People of urgency, people of purity, people of expectancy. That means I'm putting my hope... <laughs> In the Lord Jesus Christ. He's coming back soon. Could be night or noon. I'm washing His blood. Packed up and ready. Goodbye. Oh world. Goodbye. You say brother Derek. What is, what, is, what is keeping the whole thing. From being wrapped up. Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 11. One thing. He says. I'll tell you about this mystery. When the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. You say Derek. What does that mean? That means, that's talking about when the last one who can be saved will be saved. I don't know when it will happen. It could happen today in this church service. It could happen over in a little African hut church. It could happen over in China in an underground church. It could happen online if somebody's watching a preacher through the internet. Uh, they come to believe. But at that moment when the last one believes, the father's going to turn to the son and say, your bride is complete. Now go and get them. And friend, I get excited about the fact that that last one may get saved under my preaching. And it may happen here at Liberty Baptist Church that the last one will come in and in an instant, in a twinkling of an eye, as fast as a beam of light crosses an island, friend the cry will be given and the trumpet will be sounded and friend will be up, up and away will be out of this world a world goodbye amen but some of you are still delaying some of you have not made your calling and election sure today and I want to give you an example of how dangerous that is 
Somebody who ignored the obvious signs around him. On an all too clear day in Portland, Oregon, you can look toward the northeast horizon and see what's left of Mount St. Helens. Before May 18th of 1980, it was a picture-perfect 9,676-foot snow-capped mountain. But at 8.31 a.m. on that momentous day in May, the mountain exploded with a force of 30,000 atomic bombs, sending out supersonic concussive waves that flattened everything within 150 square miles. It's hard to get your mind around that much energy being released. On the heels of that, a wave of 50-foot mud and ash screamed down the mountain and into the surrounding forest land, burying everything in the, its path and changing the landscape forever. But there was one old man who lived very close to that mountain. His name was Harry Truman, not to be confused with the president. This 83-year-old widower knew very well what the geologists had been predicting. He knew that multiple seismographs and every scrap of scientific evidence pointed toward a massive apocalyptic explosion. But he refused to take any heed. In spite of the pleas of forest rangers and neighbors and family, the old man laughed it off. He said this, <laughs> Nobody knows more about this mountain than old Harry does. And it ain't going to blow up on me. So Harry went about his business at the lodge. He fed his cats, he mowed the lawn, he planted petunias, and he lived on May 18th as if life would last forever. Nothing would move him, nothing would budge him, and he ignored the fact of 10,000 earthquakes that had happened in a two-month period before that eruption. He shrugged his shoulders at the hundreds of steam blast explosions. He laughed off the ominous 80-meter bulge on the side of the mountain that said something big was about to happen. And when the mountain exploded, Harry Truman died needlessly because he did not believe the signs that were apparent all around him. And friend, that's my plea to you today. Do not ignore the crystal clear signs that are so apparent in our world today of this convergence factor if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior make today the day of your salvation repent trust in Him come to His cross find His mercy His grace His love poured out for you we talked about the convergence factor and maybe there's some things converging in your life right now I don't know why God has brought some of you here today but there's some things converging the hopelessness that you feel in your soul, the changing culture and the changing world all around us, the problems that have crept into your life that you never expected you'd have to deal with, and these are converging in your life right now, and God's speaking to you through His Word and through His Holy Spirit, and He's saying, Come to Me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. You know what? I'm not worried. I don't lose sleep at night. Because I know the Lord Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. And no matter what comes down the pipe into this world, no matter what the government decides to do, no matter what calamity hits the earth, no matter how bad and how dark and how hard times might get, I've got the Lord Jesus Christ in my life. And He's got me. Can you say the same? 
You have that hope, that assurance. Brother Preston is coming today. Our altar is going to be open. If you'd like to do business with the Lord today, if you'd like to seal that commitment, make Him Lord and Savior. Maybe you say, Derek, I'm only halfway committed. Maybe you need to recommit today. Maybe God's done some work in your heart and you say, I haven't really been living for the Lord. I'm, I'm only playing church. Hey, the altar is going to be open. Whatever the need is, however your burden, I want to pray with you. I want to meet you. And I want to see God do something amazing in your life. He's willing. Are you? Are you willing to take that first step? Let's stand and sing as Brother Preston leads us. I think we're having just as I am.